Hey, welcome back to another edition of Travel Commando. Tonight, we find ourselves in Paris again. I assure you that next time we will not. Tonight, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Louvre. And I'm going to share just one piece of listener correspondence. And I'm going to share with you an intro from the new Travel Commando lecture and presentation series. And now, that little bit about the Louvre. Make no mistake about it, a trip to the Louvre is an expedition, so be prepared. Okay, don't expect to see it all at once. Don't expect great ease in navigation. Do expect to be amazed. You will lose yourself in ancient history in the Egyptian wing. You will see the Mona Lisa. Try not to be disappointed when it's smaller than you've imagined. You will stroll through an astonishing indoor sculpture garden where you will view Venus de Milo and Winged Victory. Spend some time here. You won't be sorry. Your journey through the vast expanse of the Louvre will likely begin on a subterranean level through what was once a dungeon. As a warning, I will offer that if you stay too long, the museum itself might begin to feel a little bit like a dungeon. I was inside for either four or six hours and was having a sweaty, <laughs> unpleasant time toward the end. I found it aggravatingly difficult to locate an exit even after obtaining directions. Okay, but do not be put off by such comments. You should absolutely not miss a trip to this museum. The amazement far outweighs the aggravation. I would probably make two short visits next time instead of one, something you can easily do if you happen to have a Paris Museums Pass. In my experience so far, the Louvre has been the museum. Okay, the building is absolutely amazing, as are the galleries, the, tw the uh, Tuileries Gardens across the street. It's all here people, Rembrandt, Da Vinci, Vermeer, Delacroix, and so, so much more. The gift shop is exceptional. Admission to the Louvre is 9 euro. A discount of 3 euro is applied after 6 p.m. on Wednesday and Friday, and admission is free the first Sunday of each month, and of course, <laughs> on Bastille Day. The museum is closed on Tuesday. There are guided tours available. They're 12 euro. The entrances at the Pyramid and at um, Galerie du Carousel may be crowded. You may have an easier time entering through the Richelieu Pavilion. So look into that before you go. It worked out for me. Um, gosh, as I stated, the Louvre is on the Museum Pass, along with over 50 other museums and monuments. I recommend ordering one online, and the Metro stop for the Louvre is... Palais Royal. And now I want to share a question from a listener and my response to the question. Travel Commando at Outlook.com, by the way. Trenton wrote, Hey, Travel Commando, where is the craziest traffic that you have seen? Trenton, I am definitely prepared to answer that question. For a long time, it was in Paris. A friend warned me before my first trip there that if I rented a car, I should accept death. 
and the traffic was pretty crazy, but it had nothing at all on Egypt. Don't rent a car in Cairo. Don't rent a car in Cairo. Do not rent a car in Cairo. I didn't even consider it, and I was so happy. I wouldn't have known what to do with it. Let me tell you about my trip from the airport to my hotel at the pyramids. As I was walking through the airport lobby, leaving, from off to my left I heard, Hey! This guy shouted really loudly at me, right? And it was one of those that I just knew it was at me, right? I looked over and this guy yelled, I'm your ride! I was not at all sure about that. Okay? The guy yelled, Seriously, come over here! I'm your ride! He was just a jerk hawking a taxi service. Look out for it if you ever visit. Apparently it's commonplace. So I continued out the front door of the airport and there was this crowd standing out there behind a short wall like the paparazzi. Right? It was like walking onto the red carpet at the Oscars. This whole crowd of people was focused on me and the people immediately around me. Some of them were holding out signs with hotel names or family names on them. This was the right spot. These were hired drivers. Okay. I found the guy with my hotel sign and had him confirm my name, and we were off. We pulled out of the airport in late afternoon, and right away I couldn't believe the traffic. Okay. I took my first photo almost immediately because half the world away in a sea of utter traffic madness in Africa, I found myself behind a car with a Pink Floyd sticker on it. All right, I don't remember if there were lane markings or not, and this is when we were still in an area which could conceivably have what could even reasonably be called lanes. But if there were, nobody cared. This was lawless, unrestricted, every man for himself, total traffic carnage like if Hieronymus Bosch did a painting called Rush Hour. Nobody gave a damn, okay? People were just cutting each other off, scooters and motorcycles were cruising all between cars, and the honking just... <laughs> wow! From the moment we left the airport, the honking never stopped. And everybody was doing it. But it actually got pretty interesting, right? After a while, I started detecting certain patterns. And I realized, hey, this is a language. At least part of it is. I ran that by my driver and he explained that this was correct. He went on to educate me about some of the nuances. And he ran through a series of different signals and told me what they meant. You know, looking back now, I wonder what effect, if any, that had on the drivers around us. So, how can I... If you've never left the United States or been the victim of a natural disaster, and you think that you know what poor infrastructure means, think again. These roads were not in good shape, right? And as we drove further through Cairo, the quality of the roads and buildings decreased, and the light began to slowly fade. It seemed like we were in an area where a massive amount of traffic was being constricted or funneled down just up ahead, right? But it wasn't. And every kind of vehicle was involved in this fiasco, right down to tuk-tuks. If you don't know what a tuk-tuk is, look it up. You can ride them all over if you want to. And 
by the way, <laughs> in this jostling, arbitrary, random mess of traffic, there were people walking around. And animals. Yeah, like flipping Jumanji. People would just walk into lanes of traffic, like... Imagine standing on Pacific Coast Highway when it was jammed and everybody was just aggressively trying to pass all around and stuff. And there were craters and ditches and bricks in the road and stuff. And you just said, hell with it, I'm crossing and barged on in as a pedestrian. Now, imagine people just doing that everywhere. Including on what I would call the highway. And there were definitely people who lived alongside the road. Okay, and again, there were animals doing the same thing. Craziness. We were several miles from the Nile, I would say, from the Nile River. And the driver of a little truck in front of us just slammed on the brakes and started fishtailing, right? This kind of stuff was happening all over the place. It was just finally happening in front of us. So my driver has to fight to get around that. And as we pass the guy, my driver also picks a fight with him. Okay. And there's still honking coming from everywhere. So as we approached the Nile and Giza government, the sun went down, right? And things got eerie. We crossed the river moving into Giza, and the scene became a little more twisted for the average Westerner. Buildings were crumbling out onto the road, and the roads themselves became narrow. Even on the highway, crumbling architecture had been a problem. But it was barriers and bridge embankments and structures like that which were falling apart. In this neighborhood, the corners of buildings were lying in the street, with people and livestock still darting out from the sides. We went through an area where a really high percentage of the vehicles, and I mean cars, trucks, motorcycles, bikes, tuk-tuks, had these blue lights all over them. It was very strange, right? And in some way unnerving. The driver told me it was just a fad in the neighborhood. The sun had set behind the citadel, and in Giza there was some kind of haze in the air and a smell, right? As soon as the car crossed the river, I could see a fog or pollution or some particulate matter in the headlight beams. I very quickly had a feeling in my sinuses and soft palate that resembled a sinus infection, and the streets were getting even narrower with more foot traffic. Just twisted. And now these crossing headlight beams and functioning in this smell were elements in the wildness of the traffic. We turned down uh, quite a long dirt road that shocked my senses. There is no way in hell I would want to be alone on this road at night. Okay, have you seen the movie Jacob's Ladder? Remember the scene when they took Jacob to X-Ray? It reminded me of that, and I am not kidding. I definitely knew that I was not in my place. This was sketchy as hell. Now... I could be wrong about this next observation. After all, I'd been traveling for 30 hours without sleep, and this street was very dark, but I'm pretty sure I saw a dead dog lying in a pool of blood.
and people just milling about. To be objective, I will offer that what I was experiencing was basically just a drive through an impoverished African town at night. But still, we're driving through all of this, right? There are people just zigzagging around in front of the car, horses and other animals too, and again, I cannot stress enough that these roads are not top-notch. Okay, so we eventually come around this corner and... We're in an area that's crowded in a different way. These people all seemed to have things to do, I guess, is the way I'll say it. There were more lights in front of the buildings, and we were zigzagging through these gates that had been rolled out into the street. I looked to my right and saw a huge black triangle silhouetted against the starry sky. I gasped, and we pulled to a stop in front of the hotel. I stepped out of the car directly into a pile of camel shit. Two days later, another tourist, another tourist approached me at the hotel. I'll remember this for the rest of my life. He said, man, I'd buy a ticket to take that ride from the airport again. At first it was quite a fright, but it turned out to be quite a good show. Okay. So, Trenton, I hope that answers your question. And, uh, you know, good luck out there. Um, today I'm going to close with the intro from an old book, which I wrote about travel. This intro is being used in the Travel Commando Touring presentation, which is currently in design. This book is for those of you who have discovered that for people like us, travel is an addiction. It is not an extravagance. It is not a shameful luxury. It is an addiction which must be satisfied. For us, travel is a hardwired need which, if left unsatisfied, will result in our progressive dismay. Among those of us who suffer from and enjoy this affliction, most are creatures of boundless curiosity and bold nature. Intrepid, unintimidated, and undaunted, we will leap into the fray. If one of us lives in, say, Oklahoma City, he or she is as likely to be found in Germany on any given weekend as up the street at the convenience store. We have no qualm with the impulsive decision to travel alone to foreign countries if our friends are hesitant about committing. To us, it seems perfectly normal to drop everything, including all of our cash, to complicate our lives with nightmarish logistics. It does not occur to us that just perhaps... We should be afraid to walk alone down an unfamiliar street in Prague after dark. It just seems right.